Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is Sheep Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class a show that tracks the twists and turns of everyday history. I'm Gabe Lussier, and today we're talking about the time when Johnny Carson saved the game Twister by showing the American public that it wasn't as salacious as it first seemed. The day was May 3rd, 1966. Late-night talk show host Johnny Carson and actress Ava Gabor demonstrated how to play a new party game called Twister. During a segment of The Tonight Show, they spread out the game's plastic mat on the studio floor, took off their shoes, and did their best to follow the instructions. Carson's announcer, Ed McMahon, was tasked with working the game's spinner and with calling out the directions it dictated, like right foot red and left hand green. Within a few minutes, Carson and Gabor were hopelessly entangled, and the audience, both in the studio and at home, was in stitches. Few knew it at the time, but that on-air demonstration was a make-or-break moment for Twister. The game had largely sat unsold on store shelves since its release the previous year. Some customers were confused by the premise, while others thought the idea of mingling limbs on the floor was too lewd a premise for what was billed as a family game. Twister's reception was so poor that its manufacturer, Milton Bradley, had already given up on it and didn't intend to produce any more copies. However, the PR firm that was promoting Twister had already booked a demonstration on one of the country's most popular shows, and nobody told them that the game was as good as dead. The Tonight Show segment was produced as planned, and by the following day, it was clear just what a lucky break that was. For Milton Bradley, for the game's inventors, and for partygoers worldwide. The story of Twister began in 1965, when Minnesota ad man Rain Geyer was hired to work on a local back-to-school promotional display 
for Johnson brand shoe polish. He wanted to include a mail-in offer for some kind of game where kids use their feet to play. He envisioned a large checkered mat with colorful squares and a 4x6 arrangement on which players would step as they played. Geyer grabbed a big sheet of cardboard and whipped up a crude prototype right there in the design firm office. Then he called in eight of his co-workers to test out the game, which he called King's Footsie. It was similar to Tic-Tac-Toe or Connect 4, except players worked in teams of two and used their feet to claim spaces. As Geyer later explained, quote, It didn't make any difference what the game was at that point, because we began to laugh so hard that it was obvious we were on to something. The game was a riot, and I immediately knew this was more than a promotion for shoe polish. Not long after, Geyer pitched King's footsie to one of his clients at 3M, the maker of adhesive office products. At the time, the company was trying something new by offering a line of premium strategy games. But a game you played with your feet didn't exactly fit the bill, so 3M took a pass. Geyer realized he had reached the point when it did matter what the game was, so he hired an artist and a toy designer to help further develop the concept for a game where people acted as the game pieces. It was artist Charles Foley who suggested that players should place their hands as well as their feet on the game mat, which now featured multicolored polka dots instead of squares. And it was toy designer Neil Rabins who hit on the idea of putting six circles of the same color in four rows, thereby ensuring that players would always become entangled sooner or later. Besides the mat, the only other game piece was a spinner, which told the player to put either a hand or a foot on a particular colored dot. The goal of the game was simply to outlast everyone else. The winner was whoever followed the spinner's directions the longest without their elbows or knees hitting the ground. The team called the game Pretzel, after the unique shapes that people twisted themselves into while playing it. Altogether, the team came up with eight possible game ideas to pair with Geyer's mat, but the clear winner of the bunch was Pretzel, a hilarious test of coordination, flexibility, and personal space. Geyer, Foley, and Rabins approached Milton Bradley Company with their idea. The board game maker was riding high on hit products like Yahtzee and The Game of Life, but there was nothing quite like Pretzel in its lineup. The company's head of development, Mel Taft, thought it could be a huge seller, but the other executives at Milton Bradley weren't convinced. They worried that parents might object to boys and girls playing the game together, which of course would put Pretzel at a disadvantage compared to other, less compromising games. Nonetheless, with Taft's endorsement, the company agreed to take the risk. The only problem was the name Pretzel wasn't available to use, as there was already a toy dog called Pretzel on the market. The marketing team at Milton Bradley eventually settled on Twister as a replacement. Geyer, who was a Midwest native, was not a fan of the new moniker, as it reminded him of tornadoes. But in the end, he was outvoted and the name Twister stuck. One of the things that convinced Milton Bradley to roll the dice on Twister was the low-cost nature of the game. Unlike traditional board games that required detailed printed boards and copious metal and plastic tokens, Twister only had two components, a vinyl mat and a plastic spinner. The only part of production that was even slightly difficult was figuring out how to cheaply print large colored dots onto big plastic sheets. The answer, as it turned out, 
was to outsource the job to a company that printed shower curtains. Everything was going smoothly until Milton Bradley began to advertise the game to retailers in the fall of 1965. Right away, the company's worst fears were confirmed, as multiple buyers expressed discomfort with Twister's intimate style of gameplay. To make matters worse, other toy makers began referring to the game as Sex in a Box, making Twister into an industry joke that turned off retailers even more. Milton Bradley tried to downplay the game's sexual overtones by putting cartoon characters, rather than real people, on its packaging. But no matter how innocuous the box art, parents just weren't having it. Twister barely sold at all during its first few months on the market, but the real killing blow came when Sears Roebuck declared the game too inappropriate to be included in its famous Christmas catalog. Not long after, Rain Geyer got a phone call from Mel Taft telling him that all promotion and manufacturing of Twister would be halted in the new year. The remaining stock of Twister continued to gather dust on store shelves for the first few months of 1966. Milton Bradley had already written it off as a loss by then. In fact, the company was so done with the game that it hadn't bothered to cancel the remaining promotions it had already planned for it. As a result, Johnny Carson wound up giving an on-air demonstration of a game that was about to be discontinued. Remarkably, that oversight turned out to be Twister's saving grace, because when roughly 12 million viewers tuned in to The Tonight Show on May 3rd, they realized just how fun and wholesome the game could be. Carson's guest that night was Hungarian-American actress Ava Gabor, the glamorous star of the hit TV show Green Acres. She accepted the host's invite to demo the strange new game, and before long, the two of them were down on all fours, trying desperately not to fall on top of each other. The audience laughed all the way through the segment, and when it was over, rather than being scandalized, they wanted to try the game for themselves. The day after the show aired, customers flooded toy stores all over New York in search of Twister. But because Milton Bradley had suspended production, there weren't enough copies to meet demand. That would quickly change, though, as the company immediately reversed its decision and began pushing Twister harder than ever. In the weeks ahead, the game was profiled on other popular shows of the day, as well as in newspaper ads, where it was touted as, quote, the sensational new party game seen by millions on TV. The marketing blitz paid off, with Twister becoming the must-have game of the 1966 holiday season. Milton Bradley cranked up production and began turning out 40,000 copies a day to meet demand, but it still wasn't enough to keep pace with sales. The game had attracted fans of all ages, from kids to adults, but its biggest demographic by far was teenagers. Milton Bradley rode that wave of hormones all the way to the bank, and by the end of 1967, more than 3 million copies of Twister had been sold. The once taboo game had secured its place on American store shelves and in wood-paneled basements, where it would continue to be trotted out at parties for the rest of the swinging 60s and beyond. As for the game's co-creators, they had a falling out over royalties and parted ways as a design team. Foley and Rabins later reteamed for several other projects, including the first-ever set of plastic handcuffs. Meanwhile, Rain Geyer formed a new team and continued working on other toy development concepts. In 1969, 
he stumbled upon another winning idea for indoor play, the Nerf ball. Ironically, both Twister and Nerf are now owned by the same toy company, Hasbro. But as of 2023, only Twister has the honor of being enshrined in the National Toy Hall of Fame. The game was inducted in 2015, along with the Super Soaker Water Gun and the Humble Puppet. With an estimated 65 million people having played Twister at one time or another, I'd say the game deserves to be called one of the all-time greats. Yet as popular and as playable as it is, Twister never would have gotten off the ground without Johnny Carson and Ava Gabor leading the way. So the next time you're at a party and someone breaks out a mat, be sure to flick that spinner once for them. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. You can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, or you can send your feedback directly to me by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays and Ben Hackett for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.